Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me on this very gray Friday afternoon, but it is Friday, so we can take some comfort in that. And it's 4.35, which means I'm joined by our smart speakers. So all in all, it's a good Friday afternoon. Genevieve Tomney, principal at GT and Co., Bruce Arthur, Toronto Star columnist, and Aaron Morrison, longtime political strategist and now principal at Morrison Comms. Welcome to all of you. Let's jump right into it. I just spent the last uh, 20 minutes probably losing my conservative card by saying how disappointed I am that uh, PC MPP from Milton Parmgill has stepped down not only from cabinet but uh, in his uh, seat in Milton to run for the federal conservatives. My issue, as I just shared with our callers and took calls on, is that I really dislike when politicians of any stripe bounce around, bounce around from riding to riding, bounce around from multiple levels of government, run for office in two or three different layers of government, or move from riding to riding. In this case, he hasn't broken to another party, but he has. This is his third location as an as an elected member. He started out in Ottawa, jumped down to provincial, and now heading back to Ottawa. After all that, Genevieve, I'll start with you. What's your thought on this? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm in the liberal camp and a supporter of Bonnie Crombie. And and I looked at this as, you know, kind of to the point that you're making, um, evidence that conservatives right now with any kind of profile in Ontario are starting to look around and they're starting to look long and hard at their options and at the relative popularity of the federal conservatives under Pierre Polyev versus Doug Ford, um, especially since a new Ontario Liberal leader was elected in December. So from my vantage point, I think this is a really great opportunity for the Ontario Liberals, obviously, to start inching their way closer to that 12-seat threshold that would grant party status. Um, this is a seat that they pretty narrowly lost in two you know, landslide defeats um, in the last two elections. And so I'm very certain that this was not in the Doug Ford playbook. And I think there's probably some scrambling going on right now. Okay, but Bruce Arthur, just to pick up on Genevieve's point. So Bonnie Crombie started out as a federal MP. And then she moved to municipal politics as mayor of Mississauga. And now potentially, we know she wants to be uh, an MPP because of her role now as the leader of the Liberal Party provincially. So she might actually run in a second community, this being Milton, for a third level of municipal government. So Bonnie actually makes my point in all this just as much as Parm Gill does. Well, I mean, those pensions aren't going to create themselves, right? Uh, I will say that as someone who comes from the sports world, uh, this is like free agency. I do think that in your political career, if you want to move up and down, I have a little more tolerance probably, Rashmi, than you do uh, for this. I will say this, though. There was a great report in the Queen's Park today uh, in which uh, basically the Conservative Party of Canada at the federal level, like as much as it's maybe attractive for Parm Gill to go up, to the feds. The federal party is looking at Doug Ford's party and going, I don't know. The Greenbelt thing is ugly. We don't think there's a lot of talent there. Remember, this is a federal party who has among its candidates Roman Baber, who was kicked out of the PCs for some of his anti-lockdown uh, and borderline anti-vaccine stuff. Matt Strauss, who's similar, who's going to run in Kitchener. The fact that Parm Gill was deemed talented enough and no one else seems to be. That's what I would worry about if I was Doug Ford. And actually, I would just say that's what I would worry about if I was Ontario, because Doug Ford's party is going to be in charge for rather a long time. 
Um, Aaron, my point on this one, which uh, you know I, I made just a few minutes ago, is that it, it's not even about the party itself. As I said, speaking out about this <laughs> probably irritates a number of my fellow conservatives. But Olivia Chow has done the up and down politics. As I said, Bonnie, Bonnie Crombie, another conservative, Patrick Brown. My issue is what this says about politics and people in public service, because I think it, it's sort of a pox on all your houses kind of approach when individuals do this for what I can only believe to be very selfish reasons, not in the name of public service. I think you have to look at the individual situations, Deb. I mean, some some people just genuinely do have a heart of service uh, and moving from one seat to another might be sort of a natural progression in their lives in terms of, you know, the issues they want to tackle. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe transit really has their uh uh, has their head set to municipal politics, or maybe they're thinking, you know what, if I can't tackle the healthcare problem, what am I doing here? And so they have to take a look at provincial politics. I think the problem is when it starts to look opportunist, right? When, oh, it looks like my guys might win provincially, so I'm just going to jump down and be an MPP. Oh, now it looks like maybe we've got a shot federally, so I'm going to abandon the place I've already been elected, leave my constituents, force a by-election, and see if I can get on the next bandwagon at another level of government. I think that's what makes people cynical. And ultimately, I hear you when you say um, your conservatives aren't going to be happy Happy, but I think like this, <laughs> you're the least of their worries today, my friend. Their <laughs> personnel is policy, right? Doug Ford uh, is unhappy because he's got folks jumping ship. Uh, he's got senior leaders like Monty McNaughton and Parmgill jumping ship. And I, I mean, Bruce, Bruce Arthur's right to bring this up when you've got unnamed sources on Pierre Polyev's team saying we don't want Doug Ford's ministers because they have the quote unquote stench of corruption all over them. I mean, personnel is policy. Who's going to be on Polyev's team? Anti-vaxxers like Roman Babber, convoy activists and people with the stench of corruption. Um, I think uh, a lot of Canadians are going to be watching for uh, what that team looks like in the months ahead. So it looks like we might have a date uh, for the Mississauga by-election to replace Bonnie Crombie. Uh, June 10th is uh, being rumored to be the day. It also coincides with Professional Development Day for their school board in Peel. And so it looks like a good opportunity for people to go to the polls. Um, Genevieve, I'll let you take this wherever you want to go with it. Uh, seems to me like it's been a, it'll have been by June a year since uh, the former mayor of Mississauga announced she was running for the Liberals. That feels like a long time, but I don't know if there's another answer on timing for a full-time mayor of Mississauga. Yeah, I mean, I think the process kind of has to play out how it does. And it is a long time, especially for a city as dynamic and growing as Mississauga. And I I do think this is a really pivotal moment for the city. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because they're coming out of, you know, literally decades of having two mayors under Hazel McCallion and Bonnie Crombie, who were for the most part incredibly popular and incredibly well loved by their constituents. And the city's changed dramatically, you know, under Crombie, especially it embraced density. I know there are people who will argue that point, but it 
did versus sprawl and invested, you know, really heavily in things like public transit. It's a different city. So the question is now, where do you go from there and what kind of person um, can take the city to the next place it's going to go? And, you know, there's been lots of rumblings about who might run, but I haven't seen any real superstar or front runner that name that's emerged yet as an easy bet to take Crombie's place. It's big shoes to fill. It's it's 10 years of, of being mayor. So, you know, from my perspective, I'm interested in seeing someone who's going to take on that record of building more housing, taking a stand on important issues like developing the Green Belt and the 413 Highway, for example, um, and really keeping the city moving forward in a progressive way. Bruce Arthur, we're hearing uh, really a bunch of councillor names, I guess not surprising, Carolyn Parrish, uh, Alvin Tejo, Deepika Demerla, and Hazel's son, Peter McCallion. Any thoughts on the potential roster uh, signing up? First, Deb, I can't believe I called you Reshmi. Second, um, I, the, the, the fact that we have in Canada and in Ontario the sons or daughters of politicians running as politicians. I'm never, ever excited about it. I wasn't excited about it with Trudeau. Uh, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't excited about it with Doug being Rob Ford's brother. Uh, we have a bit of a talent deficit. I think that's a really good point by Genevieve, is that Mississauga has to be a fundamentally different place than it's been in the last 30 years. Because housing... I, and I would I would actually argue that point about density and Bonnie Crombie in Mississauga. I think it's a pretty low bar that she stepped over. Uh, Mississauga has changed fundamentally, but how, about how it's been as a in terms of its housing strategy, that's the biggest thing that the next mayor has to deal with, as well as a provincial government, which isn't always very helpful to those municipalities. That's uh, you got twenty seconds, Aaron. Apologies. Uh, housing in Mississauga, god awful. Definitely needed more on that. And so this is going to be an interesting litmus test in terms of what people are looking for in leadership. Well done. Coming up after the break, our smart speakers will stay with me. We're going to discuss today's decision out of the International Court of Justice and a, a really terrible situation of bullying in Oshawa. Welcome back. This is your guest host, Deb Hutton. We are in the middle of our smart speakers discussion with Genevieve Tomney, principal at GT and Co., Bruce Arthur, Toronto Star columnist, and Aaron Morrison, longtime political strategist and now principal at Morrison Comms. Earlier today, uh, the International Court of Justice ordered Israel to take measures to prevent and punish direct incitement of incitement of genocide in its war on Gaza. This is, uh, of course, in response to the case Israel brought, uh, that was brought against Israel by South Africa. The court did not, certainly at this stage, order a ceasefire, as had been part of the application on the part of South Africa. Genevieve, I'm going to start with you, your general reaction to the decision and uh, your thoughts for what might happen here, uh, given the divisions that already exist in this country and in our city. Yeah, I mean... Look, I think the premise of this whole case in front of the ICJ was flawed. Um, I think it's honestly become a sideshow on the international stage, and I think it's regrettable. And I don't see um, this process or what has happened today really having any impact on the path to peace. And, and that has to be the world's priority. What I know, though, is that the words and the actions of international bodies like this matter. And they have a lot of meaning to people around the world um, and here at home. 
Um, and, and as people have with every single difficult moment in this war, people across Ontario are going to have strong feelings about this and, and every development and decision that's made. So I hope that in Ontario, we will continue to, to treat our, our fellow humans with respect and with care because a lot of people are really hurting right now. And I truly, truly hope that there will be through, um, you know, many different avenues, probably not this one, um, a path to sustained peace in that region. Bruce Arthur. I think there's two parts of this. One is the uh, operational part in which they did not order a ceasefire and no ceasefire was probably going to be imposed by the International uh, Court of Justice anyway because of the the way the Israeli government is, is, is prosecuting this war. The second, though, is the moral part. The fact that this case was not thrown out the cat the, the fact that the icj demanded more humanitarian aid um and 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 better and just a more discriminating war essentially um that should mean something i think the important thing and genevieve talked about the, the pain that's happening right now out there with 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 jews with arabs and muslims like that stuff is real and it's awful and you cannot hold people in Canada responsible for the actions of Israel's government, no matter what they say. Um, but I think what's becoming clear in this war is that what Israel's government is doing in this war is monstrous. That's not to say that what Hamas did is not. What Hamas did was monstrous. What Israel is doing, it's, it's not that it's worse. It's that this is going to be counterproductive to peace in the region. It's going to be counterproductive to pretty much everything. And it is this... This is the worst Israel government you could have at this moment. And that's, to me, what I keep reading in the, in the ICJ decision. Aaron Morrison. Yeah, Bruce, I think a lot of Israelis agree with you on, uh, you know, how they're feeling about their own government right now. For me, the ICJ decision really highlighted the fact that this is not... This is not a war between two states. It's a war between the state of Israel and the non-state actor, the terrorist entity mm -hmm. Hamas. And, you know, as a result, I, ICJ really can make decisions, uh, you know, that are binding, but they can't enforce them anyway, about Israel's behavior, but they cannot address anything that Hamas has done. So, you know, they kind of called for... Um, called for, like asking for the release of hostages held by Hamas, but they, they couldn't address the atrocities that Hamas has committed. And so so for me, um, I, I want an international um, court of justice. I want a functional one. I want one uh, that um, does have authority. But in its current state, uh, it is um, this this was a bit of a farce. I, I mean, Russia holds a vice president seat on the court. Come on now. I'm going to switch gears here back home, and uh, I, this morning, Jerry Agar uh, brought this topic forward, and, and I continued it this afternoon and took calls on it. There is an unbelievable situation of bullying at one of the schools. It's called Elsie McGill Public School in Oshawa. A grade 8 girl has been threatened uh, with her life by three girls who are her supposed peers in this school. The police have been called twice in the last week. The school board, Durham District School Board, simply says to the mom, we're investigating. But teachers have now started to say, we can't come to work. It's not safe. In one of the instances this week when the girls were already suspended pending the investigation, they just barged into the school and teachers had to take themselves and students into a portable and lock themselves in there to be safe. There has to be an answer for this. This is obviously one of the most 
extreme cases of bullying that we've seen in our province, but it's not entirely unique. Genevieve, what's the answer? Because this isn't it. I mean, it's it's hard to comprehend that a situation like this has been allowed to to get to this point, right? You know, we have kids, we send them off to school, um, and you have to hope and trust that the people who are entrusted with their care are going to do everything, every single thing that is necessary to make sure your children are safe. I cannot imagine um, what the parents are are going through in this case because the fear that you would have, um, you know, sending your child or deciding whether or not to send your child into a situation like this day after day um, would be absolutely paralyzing. And clearly it has been, uh, you know, this this mom has been um, protesting outside the school um, to try and get people to pay attention and to do more. Honestly, Deb, I wish I, I knew what the solution was. I think our schools and our teachers are underfunded. They are understaffed. Um, there are obviously um, probably a lot of factors that led to this point, but I think we need to be doing just more to invest in our schools and the right kind of staffing to make sure that they can be safe for our kids. Bruce Arthur, one of the things I believe pretty firmly in is that we need to empower our principals. They know their school community. They know um, the kids, the families, and I don't think we're giving enough backing to them. Well, in this case, you've got to have more than politely asking these kids who barge back into the school or suspended to leave, right? Like at some point, this sounds almost like someone's going to wind up in youth court. Um, but right now, if you are a parent of that kid who's being bullied like that, and these kids are going that far outside the bounds of school discipline, man, the priority has to be protecting that kid. That's what it has to be. I don't care how progressive your punishment model is. Aaron Morrison. Uh, yeah, my heart is just broken for the kids and the teachers uh, that are being bullied here and, and terrorized, really. I think part of the solution has to be a mental health response. We know a lot of kids in crisis, which can be violent. Uh, they wait 18 months or more for an appointment. Part of this, of course, has to be an enforcement response. Uh, the principal, I agree, needs to be empowered, but also where's the where's the school division and where's the ministry on this? Um, and part of this is a policy response, uh, just like Jen said. I mean, we have classes of 35, 40 kids with no EAs because that was cut. Uh, and, you know, when you do not have enough caring adults to keep control over each classroom in each school, then it's the Lord of the Flies. And uh, I am seriously worried about the lack of caring adults in every single school. Genevieve Tomney, Bruce Arthur, Aaron Morrison, thanks for being our smart speakers this afternoon. Coming up after the break for news, there is a new scam making its way through the streets of Toronto. Someone posing as a fundraiser, if you can believe it, for Sick Kids Hospital. Toronto Police are going to join me to give us the details.